Howdy, howdy, everybody. How's it going? And before we say hello to each other, we have a special guest today, the one, the only, the living legend. Now, give me about five minutes to give you all of his nicknames, okay? The mighty Mexican midget, uh, his favorite, the world's sexiest human being. But we go on, but we can get to those later. But it's the one and only Javier Palomo. Welcome to the show. (laughs) How's it going, Tony? Good now that you're here. Finally, we can have an intelligent conversation. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to hold up my end of the conversation, but, you know, uh, Joe Cardinal's got me very distracted already with his, with his excellent background here. So, Like I was saying, finally someone with some artistic appreciation. I've had this on for several months, and it's been largely ignored by uh, other of our, you know, podcast, but um, thank you very much. What are you talking about the comic books? I brought up the comic books before. That's a nice touch. Nice touch, Joe. Thank you. Merry Merry Christmas, Nico. Nico still has his Christmas lights up. Merry (laughs) Christmas, buddy. Trying to keep the holiday spirit. (laughs) He's got them up early for next year. I think we've still got a couple up in the background here, but the actual tree's gone, thankfully, so. I didn't do anything this year, nothing. You know, so that's cool. I don't think I did it last year, so uh, oh, it's all right. You're but kind yeah, of a humbug, man. That's what it is. I've turned into that, yes. And we got to this 2021, we got to turn it all around for Tony. So I'm not, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge anymore, 365 a, a year. But man, two feet of snow, that's a yeah, lot yeah, of no, trouble today. Uh, yeah, it, my, uh, my mother's car got stuck in the driveway. Um, so yeah, we had a, had to shovel that out. Uh, definitely, definitely had some guys miss class today because of, uh, because of it. So, uh, but I didn't really want them trekking down as far as they were coming anyhow. So where do you, you make it out of, kid, right? What, what was that? Who, uh, I, I asked to, to plug where it is that you uh, are coaching at. So I coach at uh, about, uh, four different academies right now. Um, the, the one I was teaching at today, we have like a special session. It's not even on like the public record as, as it were, uh, is at, uh, Dennis Dombrow school, 3d martial arts. Uh, it's like a mixed, uh, mixed martial arts and jujitsu gym. It's got, a uh, uh, jujitsu Muay Thai and, and, uh, uh, like MMA slash wrestling programs. Uh, but I also teach at LCCT Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in Schaumburg and the LCCT, uh, Barrington location. And also at a school out in Rockford, uh, periodically, uh, when I can get out there. Uh, where's is, today's uh, gym at? Where's today's located? Hanover, Hanover Park. Good so for you. You deserve from, it. You're, you're yeah, you know, not too those, far from my house. For the, uh, you're not in Medina anymore? No, no, but just like the Hanover's like a 10-minute drive from where I'm located. So, 
unless you get stuck in a driveway. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for those who have never had the pleasure and honor to study under or with Javier or under however you want to look at it. Uh, well, you don't ever want to be under him because he'll submit you quickly. Um, he is phenomenal and, uh, you know, just a special guy. Won world championships, this and that. Uh, and there's some rivalry between him and Joe Cardinal because of the hair thing going on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Javier started the hair back in the 90s. So Joe's got a – I think that's one of the reasons Joe quit training back then. Um, to be he just couldn't win in, in that particular endeavor. No, he couldn't. Really, in any of them back in the old days. It was just, yeah, I had to give up. It was just, forget it. Too too many high-level guys. Yeah, I can remember the one negative when Javier had that long hair when we were still in in Stone Park at the Tula Dye Shop where there would be metal shavings because it was the Tula (laughs) Dye Shop. It'd be in his hair. It'd be in his beard. People would get cut (laughs) because his hair was like a mop, you know, and it would pick up all the shavings at everything and i'm like oh goodness gracious damn man, man I, I i tell guys about that i'm, I'm glad you said that because i tell guys about that and they don't believe me they you know like so many of the guys you know they, they, they train at like really nice fancy gyms that the sole purpose of the gym is for jujitsu or wrestling or whatever you know and, and i'm just like no you don't understand we we had a we had a small section of wrestling mat it, it was we'd have to roll it out it was right there near, near the weightlifting equipment and like right on the other side is is tool and die shop uh, you know all, all the tool and die shops uh, equipment and, and materials and yeah oh, it's the <laughs> truth guys who were watching that didn't believe it and that's being kind we went we had the hardest training there was probably anywhere and i mean anywhere anywhere it was really rugged and we used to not have a wrestling mat and I don't know if Javier, if you were ever there before that, um, but there were okay. at least a, that was a little before my time. Yeah, there was a few years that there was no mats, and uh, so we're wrestling on concrete, um, solid, uh, reinforced, heavy-duty, you know, concrete. And um, yeah, that was really those were the days, man. Uh, I sort of, I, you know, I, in a way, I miss all of that, but you know, think life goes on, you know. But uh, I mean, you never I, got. Go ahead. I was gonna say I don't think your elbows or joints would be missing that too much. You know, oh, they're, without, they're all the, without the wrestling mats. Yeah, they're all missed. Well, it's just that you know you you get people get uh, you know like uh, Mickey in Rocky said the worst thing that could happen to a fighter is he gets civilized, and I think that's one of the negatives about a lot of the training we've talked about. It's too civilized. It's too cushy. Too nice. And then when you get into a place that's not nice. Oh my goodness, it's culture shock. But uh, boy, it's good. It's good to have you here. You never got to meet Nico. Hopefully, you guys will. But Nico moved, I think, where to South America or Southern Indiana, somewhere, right? You're far. We'll just say down south. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Nico's Nico's in hiding. You know, this show has really boosted his popularity, and I know that there's budding starlets, and I believe several established Hollywood. Uh, sex symbol legends that are that are stalking him that that you know want him for skipped right over like the standard grade groupies and went straight to the top we're saying oh they well he's italian i mean they they cannot resist this guy so you know um you know talking about hollywood stars i was really excited about having tony and javi together because i really it, it dawned on me last night i was watching john wick and i was like oh my god it's like john wick 
meets Charles Bronson. That's what we've got going on right here. Just earlier in the week, I happened to be watching The Magnificent Seven. It was on, you know, streaming. And I was like, that's right. Tony. A young Charles Bronson is Tony. Like, just a slightly less Italian than Tony, but it's a spitting image, honestly. I don't know if anybody else sees it. So we've got like a good crossover here. Yeah, I, well, I can uh, see the John Wick. Yeah. yeah. Kind of looks like John Wick. I'll, I'll let my hair down and put on my black suit and we'll, we'll get the final look. Well, my dad was a coal miner and uh, as was my grandfather on his, you know, my, my dad's side. So Bronson started out, out as a coal miner somewhere in Pennsylvania where my dad is from. So, but Maybe you're related. Charles, no, he's like <laughs> Russian or Polish or Eastern, Eastern block for sure. No Italian, but uh, you know, can't have it all, you know, uh, but he did have Jill Ireland that he stole from his friend. That's kind of strange. You can't, you can give him a pass for that though. I mean, it's Jill Ireland, right? Yeah. Um, didn't like Ryan O'Neill steal Farrah Fawcett from Lee Majors. Mm. Yeah. Going back yeah. some years here. Yeah. You guys probably weren't even around. Yeah. Nico's yeah. going to have to Google all these names. Usually after every yeah. show, we have to have him go off and re- do research because he has no idea who we're talking about. Oh, I can't I'm, believe there's I gotta take any, notes. well, Farrah Fawcett, come on. She kind of transcends generations and she was the hottest thing. The biggest, most famous, probably female human being <laughs> maybe in the world, but for sure out, out of America in the seventies, my goodness. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I was born at the tail end of the seventies and I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that none of my kids or, or most of the guys that I work out with that are, you know, sub thirties would actually actually know who Farrah Fawcett is at this point. What a shame. Boy, <laughs> what a shame because, uh, whoop, because even when I was a kid, I knew who Olivia, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Elizabeth Taylor was, I knew who Sophia Loren was and Gina Lola Brigida and all of those Ginger Rogers, Rita Hayworth, but I guess it's different strokes, but they all have with, with the explosion of internet the last 20 years, 25 years and cable television. So there's a lot of, you know, people to draw from now. So yes, I could see how they wouldn't know Farah, but. And also, yeah, apparently, was, they're they're all stalking Nico. That's that's what I'm getting from this conversation. Every every single, to, to my knowledge, I could list three women who are not stalking Nico that I know from Hollywood. One is Oprah. She's not interested. Sorry, Nico. I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm going to air the dirty laundry. That's a letdown. Yeah, yeah. I say she could she could uh, fund a couple gyms for us if that were the case. So don't well if that ever comes know, up again. Let her know all of us are available, basically, for Oprah. Yeah, I, I was actually kind of shocked because Oprah, you know, spent a lot of time here in Chicago, but I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that she realizes that Nico had a Chicago connection. You know, um, maybe if she was, uh, you know, a little bit aware of that, um, she wouldn't. The other woman who's not interested in you, Nico, and I know this one is going to hurt, um, but Roseanne, she's... Oh, um, oh, that hurts. I know it. I know it. And I, such I a think, beautiful singing voice, too. I mean, the, the lullabies. Well, he screwed it up because originally there was she was trying to get in touch. And he must have said something on the show or did something. Don't know what it was. But now she doesn't want to have uh, you know, anything to, to do with him um, at all. I, I don't I don't understand. So far, so far, this podcast is just nothing but regret, it sounds like. 
Yeah, well, that's pretty much been the theme throughout. The, the whole okay. <laughs> well, I thought for twenty twenty one we were trying to trying to turn things around here, but but so who's this who's this mystery third? I hate to say it, but Nico's going to be upset because she wants somebody else on this podcast, and that's Britney Spears, um, mm. who does not have the hots for Nico, and uh, as her agent said, quote unquote, never did, never will. Dang, that yeah. hurts. Yeah. But then, and I'm not going to mention any names, but then the agent asked me, so how far is Downers Grove from Chicago? So I, I don't live in Downers Grove, so I, you can do the math. Process of elimination. So, yeah, if that actually does come through, you guys will never hear from me again. <laughs> oh, I hope it comes through, man. I really do. <laughs> I hope so. Goodness gracious. That could make it a happy 2021. So there, it's a win-win kind of scenario. Right, right, absolutely. So Javi, I know she's. Oh, go ahead. Going to kind of jump into your story. I was listening, and I want to give a plug to the podcast that you do, which I think is really great, or at least you're oh, involved you. in some is uh, the Grapplers Union podcast, which I think everybody should check out if they haven't. I'm assuming most everybody who's listened has probably heard of it, at least in the Chicago area Grapplers. But I listened through the years, and it's a great. I encourage everybody to find the Javi episode, which is like, I think episode two, um, mm-hmm. where you kind of do, you kind of go long form over your, your very lengthy, <laughs> diverse martial arts career. It's a great story. I, I love yeah, my, and, my, my meandering path through the martial arts. But like, if you were like, if people are just like, if you were going to give them kind of like the reader's digest of that and kind of give them some context for like what you, what your journey has been about, um, would you, you know, kind of lay it, lay it on us? So the Cliff's Notes version? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I ultimately, I, I've always been interested in martial arts, even when I was a little kid. You know, I grew up in the era of like Samurai Sunday and, and, and Kung Fu movies. And, you know, as I got older, eventually became ninjas. So all that stuff was very cool to me. But uh, I didn't, I didn't really have an opportunity to study martial arts very much as a kid. My mother enrolled me in like uh, Kung Sudo at the Park District, um, you know, karate. Uh, and, uh, I didn't like it. I didn't stick with it. I, back then there were, there weren't really kids classes yet. So I was just thrown in with like teenagers and adults. And, uh, that very much convinced me at an unfortunately young age that, uh, martial arts was hard and not for me. Uh, I wrestled in high school. Uh, this is in a time when most people wouldn't probably have considered wrestling a martial art. Uh, didn't, didn't do great there either. Um, and uh, actually actually quit my sophomore year because I was tired of both doing ridiculously hard conditioning, like running stairs and doing you know crazy amounts of push-ups and whatnot, and also getting my ass beat by people that were much better wrestlers than me. Um, and uh, it wasn't until about 1995 or so, 95 to 97, that I started actually pursuing martial arts. The UFC was already a known commodity at this point. I hadn't seen it like live on pay-per-view, but I had seen – we were up to like UFC – I don't know, three, five, something like that. I had seen it at, uh, in VHS tapes and, uh, me and my buddy, uh, my buddy, Jeff tried to figure out a lot of the moves on our own based on like watching UFC fighters perform them. Uh, we're also pretty big pro wrestling fans. So, uh, we, we definitely screwed around with some crazy low percentage submissions, trying to, trying to figure out how to do, you know, uh, figure four leg locks and, and, and Boston crabs and things like that in his basement. Uh, while also figuring out how to do like rear naked chokes and, and arm bars and things. So uh, I actually, I ended up getting into uh, Filipino martial arts and 
like more traditional Japanese jujitsu indirectly because of my buddy, Jeff. Um, I located a school that flew the Carlson Gracie Bulldogs. And I recognized that as Gracie jujitsu uh, just from the bulldog symbol. And uh, my buddy Jeff started taking classes there. Uh, he's like, Hey, you know, they've got that, uh, uh, there's this very popular uh, movie at the time starring uh, Jeff Speakman called uh, what was the perfect weapon uh, wh- where he used a uh, Filipino uh, 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 stick fighting sequences in the movie. And I was, I thought it was incredibly fascinating. He's like, they got a guy that does that bit here. I'm like in the jujitsu class. He's like, no, no, he runs a separate thing. I was like, I'm there. I'm so there. So uh, I started, that became like, I got more involved in martial arts through that. And because of the way like the Filipino martial arts community kind of is, uh, where there's a lot of, or at the time, I, I don't know if it's still the same, I'm kind of out of things, but uh, there were a lot of seminars and a lot of people would travel around the country uh, teaching and whatnot. So I got exposed to a lot of different martial arts through Filipino martial arts and uh, Jeet Kune Do, which are kind of intimately tied together here in America because of guys like Danny Nasanto. Um, through sort of the Jeet Kune Do world, I was exposed to, uh, to uh, shoot wrestling, uh, Shuto. Uh, and in sort of researching that and, and just reading things, I, I discovered this martial art that I was otherwise unaware of because there weren't books or, or anything out about it called catch wrestling. It was just like a cliff note in, in like the, the origin of, uh, of shoot wrestling that it was like this hybrid art that included, you know, catch wrestling. And I couldn't find anything about it. Like there wasn't, there wasn't much known. And I just kind of put, put that on the back burner for a good long while as, as just something in my head. And uh, years later, like 1999, this is, um, I stumbled across at the time uh, the underground forum. And there was a, there was like different sections for jujitsu and judo slash sambo and wrestling. And I, I gravitated to the wrestling section right away, having, you know, some background in wrestling. And uh, there were these two guys that were like moderators at the time. Uh, uh, one guy had the audacity to call himself Bruce Lee. And the other guy was uh, Tony, I couldn't pronounce his last name, but it was very Italian looking. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm reading this forum and watching what these guys say. And I, I thought it was uh, very insightful. And like, this is, you got to realize this is still very much in the era where Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, I don't want to say undefeated at this point, but like it is considered like the dominant form of martial arts and mixed martial arts. Uh, you need jujitsu. Um, most people at this point aren't really convinced that wrestling or other martial arts styles have much value. Um, we hadn't seen like guys like Maurice Smith and, and, and whatnot really at, at the time uh, hadn't really hit fully, but um, you know, a, a lot of stuff's going on, but over, overwhelmingly like the cult of personality for the Gracies is really strong at this time. And Tony was, was very much talking about, you know, like, things that he felt could be done differently, um, opportunities that were missed, things like that. And I got really fascinated with what he was talking about. And some of that, because like, you know, like not, not that I was like a massively counterculture guy, but at least some of that was like, oh, this guy's talking about like stuff that nobody else knows. It, it was kind of obscure and fascinating in that way. Uh, but I also just like really liked his, uh, his, like his approach to things just from reading. And uh, he had a website. It was like a GeoCities website if I remember correctly. Um, and uh, on the website, it listed an address. I was like, oh my God, his, his gym is in Addison, Illinois, which is like down the street from me. I, at the time I lived in Bloomingdale. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to puzzle it out. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, where's this guy's gym at? Cause like, I know 
a lot of the local martial arts schools then. And I kind of figured based on where the address was, I'm like, oh, I bet you it's in that Taekwondo school down the street. So uh, I grabbed my buddy Todd uh, and, and we get in the car and we, you know, like, like there is no Google maps or anything, guys, like, like, like we just got to figure it out. Um, you know, and, and we, we drive down and I'm like, oh, this isn't, this isn't the, sh- like we go to the Taekwondo school. This isn't the address that I thought it was. Um, it's further down the way. So we, we head further down the way and I'm like, okay, here's the, here's the street, but this is like a residential area. Huh? I wonder, okay, maybe, maybe there's like a community center or, or, or there's some other businesses back there that I don't know about. So we turn down the street and, and we're like looking at streets and everything. And I'm like, this, this, this guy put his home address on his website. So you see, this is how stalking, <laughs> how good of a stalker he is. <laughs> Wait, this is very low level stalking. Like I said, you put your, 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 your personal address publicly on your website for, for anyone to find. Um, so I'm like, well, okay, I guess I'm not going to just drive by his school and see what it's like. So I, uh, I sent an email and, uh, and was basically told like, yeah, don't come. You know, we don't, we, we, we don't want you. <laughs> I think Dave was actually answering your emails back then. Um, Dude, I and- totally got that same response from Dave too. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder. I- <laughs> there, like, there like, yeah, when do you guys work out? When can I come? How much does it cost? He's like, well, we start like, and he just like, I'll talk to you later. He was really kind of just, I, I very early on, I realized it was like, yeah, they're not really, he was not really hungry to have people come on. At least that was the initial impression I got. It's funny you say that. This is news to me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have those emails saved anymore. Those are, those are a long time ago. That's yeah, over. But, uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, regardless, uh, Dave gave me the information. He's like, you know, here's the gym. Um, you know, the, these are the times. Actually, I take that back. He didn't tell me what the times were. He asked me when I could make it in. And I said, what times I could get there. And he's like, that's no good. How about this day? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I, I'm, I'm really excited to come in. And uh, so set that up. Um, I, I drove, drove on down to Stone Park. I'm still looking for a gym. No one has prepared me for the, for the fact full. I mean, it had been talked about, but when, when the guys would refer to Tony's gym as the tool and die shop, I thought it was like a, a former tool and die shop or something like, like, you know, like, like it had you know, like many garages or, or uh, many gyms are like built in a garage or, or something like that. Um, so when I got there, it was in like an actual tool and die shop. that was a little surprised and definitely was like, hmm, not sure if I'm in the right place. But uh, I went inside. Uh, Dave was there. Tony was there. I believe uh, Brian was definitely there. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Bruce was also there at the time. Uh, and uh, sorry, just a just a tiny bit of background. In the email, I had said because um, David asked like what my experience was. I'm like, well, you know, I, I've I've done Filipino martial arts and I've done Japanese jiu-jitsu and I've I've studied a bit of uh, shuto and sambo. You know, I, I don't have a extensive grappling background, like I you know, but but I, I wrestled some. Um, and, uh, and Dave had probably told Tony and, and Brian this, and, uh, I, I, I don't remember exactly. Like, I, I really don't remember, but, uh, Brian had decided that he was for sure going to leg lock me because I had mentioned Shuto and Sambo in my, uh, in my email. So he's like, oh, I'm, I'm definitely leg locking this guy. Uh, and I don't remember if it was 15 seconds or 50 seconds, uh, of our first role, but he got me in. In one of those two, Tony called out the time after he, after he tapped me the first time. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he got me with a heel hook. It might have been an ankle lock. I can't remember. But uh, – and, like, immediately I was like, oh, wow, that – like, 
I've rolled with other guys and just like using the, the bit of grappling and wrestling that I know been able to kind of hold my own. And this guy demolished me in under a minute. Um, this is clearly the place to be. Uh, but uh, <laughs> above and beyond well, that. Let me add that. Let me add that you mentioned, you specifically shouted out that you like leg locks. Okay. No, no, I did. I did. Yes, yeah. hundred yes. percent. So I didn't remember. Yep. Yeah. Now, so that, now me, I'm a leg lock guy. So when you, when you come into my house talking about leg locks, you're not, you're not the only one that happened to, but yeah, that was funny. Right. Well, I mean, like, so I'm like a huge martial arts nerd still to this day, but like back then, even though I like hadn't studied judo, I had a huge collection of judo books um, because you know, the, 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 I had studied Japanese jiu-jitsu and there was a lot of crossover in terminology and techniques and whatnot. So I had this huge collection of judo books and this is going to sound ridiculous, obviously to anyone listening, but by and by large, I felt like I knew just academically, like a lot of the submissions because I knew like all the ones in the, in the judo books. And at the time, most of the jiu-jitsu Brazilian jiu-jitsu submissions that I had been showed were the exact same submissions. Okay. So when I had encountered like Sambo and Shuto and and whatnot, I was like, oh, wow. Like there's all these other submissions that are actually high percentage. Not like, cause I knew a couple of leg locks that were kind of like goofy. Like if the guy doesn't resist you very much, you can put him in these uh, sort of leg locks. But uh, like, I I didn't feel like there was something I could control a guy and wrestle my way into. Um, But like, I, I felt that from training with various guys that had Shuto and Sambo backgrounds. So when, when I had found out that like Tony's style of grappling had a lot of like neck cranks and, and leg locks and other obscure things that weren't in my judo books. I'm like, where else could I possibly learn this stuff? This is going to be amazing. So I definitely wanted to call out like that. I was interested in, in again, you know, being vaguely counterculture, wanting to like know the stuff that other people didn't know. Um, and I've, I've, I know I've mentioned this as well. And Tony can chime in once again. Um, but uh, I, I immediately got the vibe that like Tony looked me up and down and was like, we don't need this guy at the gym. You know, I'm, I'm this tiny, relatively out of shape dude. You know, Brian's at the time, like in really, really good shape. He's a strong athletic kid. You know, um, I'm like 22 years old, haven't done serious athletics since basically my sophomore year of high school. I've got, you know, a martial arts background, but it's not like, uh, it's not like a really intensely physical martial arts that I'm participating in. You know, it's, it's a lot of, kata and self-defense techniques uh and and whatnot like that so uh i'm not in great shape um you know i i'm five foot three kind of kind of husky i probably look like i was gonna have to uh, like, like i was gonna need a lot of hand holding um <laughs> and i remember tony told me to do some ridiculously high number it was probably only a hundred but like in my mind it was like a thousand um like a ridiculously high number of, uh, uh, of, uh, uh, tiger pushups and, and Hindu squats. And so like, he shows me how, how to do them. And, uh, I'm like, okay, you know, no problem. And like, everyone else is like getting like training and lessons from like Bruce and Brian and, and Dave and them are working out. And like, I'm just off in a corner and like, I start doing the squats and I'm like, well, this isn't so bad. And I just remember my legs started burning. I wasn't even in double digits yet. I'm like, Oh God, this is going to be horrible. But now, now Tony will confirm or deny whether that number was just whatever he gave people uh, at the time. But I definitely felt like he was giving me a number of them that he knew I couldn't actually complete. Like 
because I, I definitely wasn't an in-shape guy. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's like the Kung Fu movie where the master assigns the, the grasshopper this impossible task to, to see if he'll give up or not. So I'm like, I can't give up. I just got to keep doing this. So I do a, a couple of the squats and then I, I do a couple of push-ups and then I do a couple of squats. And every once in a while, Tony would check on me and be like, how many you got? I'm like, I'm dying. I'm like, 25. <laughs> well, you're, Which, you're, you're five foot two. I figured you could do a million of them. You don't have that far to go. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, and I, and then, you know, I stuck with it and, uh, and eventually he told me I could stop, even though I hadn't reached the number and he called me in to like, show me some stuff. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's kind of how my first introduction to catch wrestling was. I got, uh, I got beaten up by Brian and, uh, and, and, and I got, uh, asked to do a, a lot of physical conditioning that I definitely was not mentally or physically ready for at that time. Well, you know, you, you got to remember that. 20, back then, in the 90s, the internet was loaded with nothing but trolls. I mean, bad ones. They were, they were just, and there was kids out there. We were all young. I was a little bit older, but um, I was in my 30s only. But there's guys that ha- actually had no business showing anybody anything. And, you know, they were bullshitting their way into charging people 75 100 $125 an hour you know, for private lessons. And these guys literally, I mean, knew nothing. It would be as if nowadays you have no training and you went to a class and had like two, two lessons and now you're teaching. Okay. That's how bad it was. And people nowadays tend to forget that. And, well, no, you know, I mean, most of the guys I knew and, and, you know, no disrespect to, to any of them because, you know, the, the times were different then, but most of the guys I knew at that time that weren't like, you know, a Gracie because, because Carlson senior and Carlson junior, you know, were, were black belts in the city, you know, uh, within a couple of years, uh, uh, or actually maybe by that point. Um, but, uh, regardless, um, most of the guys I knew that had schools, regardless of what their background was, were no higher than a blue belt. Like that was, I thought, I, I've discussed this before, I believe on other podcasts, but I thought not knowing that much about Brazilian jiu-jitsu at the time, uh, I had never seen a purple or a brown belt at all. So I thought white belts were the students, blue belts were the instructors, and like the black belt was like reserved for like the masters because every school I had ever seen or been to early days, the, the instructor was pretty much always a blue belt. And I was shocked to find out, not years and years later, but, you know, later that it was like, oh, no, like blue belt is just like your beginner belt, basically. Yeah, it was a tough time. And then, you know, there was a lot of pilfering going on and still does, you know, to this day. But unlike the literary world, world or even music, uh, where if you steal, you're going to get caught and you're going to lose a lot of money, you know, by plagiarism uh, for plagiarism. Uh there's no honor in the martial arts. So people were taking my techniques, never giving me credit. Um, of course, never doing them properly because, you know, if I, if I even met them, it, it was only going to be like one lesson. So there's no way to master it. So I was very particular, you know, um, about who I, what I, you know, who, it, who I'm teaching and what I'm teaching. Cause where's this guy going to go with this? Is he going to start, giving all the credit to Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, when that wouldn't be right. So uh, that's why I'm sure Dave and all of us were like very protective of 
of myself, of me and the stuff that I was teaching. And it's no offense because then once we got to know somebody like Javier or Joe, you know, then, okay, the, the door is wide open here. Pick my brain. I'll, I'll teach you. you know, I'll show you anything you want to know. Um, well, I mean, also back then, I mean, let, let's be honest. We were, we were in the tool and die shop. It's the back of Kevin's building. You know, you don't want to just let any Yahoo into the situation. It was a private club. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a goal, you know, a couple people before Javier tried to get cute with me and I, I, they never got cute again. And uh, you, you have to be, yeah, you had to be really, really careful. But another thing until like the lost out of hooking series really came out, um, you know, it isn't like it is today where everybody has a video camera and it's quick and easy to make a quick video and upload it somewhere on the internet. That didn't happen. Okay. So, you know, I couldn't just show techniques like you can now I could, if I had a body here, I could show something right now. Uh, So back then it was like, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, just like the culture back then, you know, I I don't want to, but like these days you can get above and beyond the fact that there's like plenty of stuff on YouTube and various other platforms. But these days, you know, like you buy an instructional, I think the default assumption for most people is when they buy an instructional, it's going to be a digital video that they download or stream through some online service. Uh, Relatively lower number of people are making and buying DVDs. Although obviously certain parts of the country that maybe don't have high speed internet and whatnot, that's probably still a, a major thing, but like the availability of information in the late nineties and early two thousands, like things were still in its infancy in that regard. YouTube wasn't even a thought, let alone anyone, no, no one had actually considered putting like instructional material up online, you know? So like it, it, it was it, in those days, there would be like instructional VHS tapes. I still have a, bu- a bunch of old school ones. If you wanted to see a match that you didn't get to go to live, chances were you would like, there was a tape trading circuit where guys would literally like list, you know, all the fights and jujitsu matches and instructional materials that they have. And guys would trade tapes across the country, you know, through snail mail to, to, to learn and exchange information and to watch fights that they, you know, couldn't otherwise be at. Cause you know, it happened down in, in Rio or in New York and here I am in Chicago. So yeah, like, like the exchange of information has, has so drastically changed what we do and how things work. And that's both good and bad because the yeah. overwhelming majority of information is frankly poor. It's, it's not really good. And part of it is like people are narcissistic. They come up with something. They think that, Oh, this is so great. Look what I can do. And then I found out not too long ago, but like these other platforms like Javier was mentioning, you know, they monetize and boy, if you can get views, you can start making money. So now again, this is harking back to like 25 years ago with the quote unquote white belts that are making a hundred bucks an hour, given a private, a lot of people now think, well, I'll, I'm not, you know, they know that they're not that good, but they'll put something up or they'll try to come up with something new, you know, where it's really not really effective or, maybe not even new, um, just to try to cash in. So even though, yeah, Javier's 100% right, the flow of information nowadays is much more, but it doesn't mean that it's, you know, quality. Um, right. I mean, ultimately, there is no quality control on the Internet. We can, we can hope yeah. that, that, you know, we can hope that, well, 
if you see somebody who's like a world champion at something explaining it for free on the internet, chances are they're, they're giving you a legit view of how it works and whatnot. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like until you know the caliber of the person's credentials, it can be very hard to judge, especially when you don't know anything, you know, like I, I always, I'm always concerned because I, I don't want to discourage my students from looking stuff up and, and watching, watching match footage and things like that. But I'm always concerned when they start asking me questions and I'm like, where did you see this and who showed it? And if you're just <laughs> going to be like some guy on the internet, that's not a very good indication, especially if it's like, not that I have to know his name, but like, if it's some guy on the internet and you're showing me a technique, I'm like, who is it? And if I don't recognize their name, I'm like, uh, let me, let me see who this person is. Yeah. We got a couple, you know, uh, even 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 some quote unquote legitimate guys, I look at their techniques. And I'm like, man, eh, that's well, yeah, you know, yeah. Here, let me show you how you can beat that quickly. But what was um, what, what what was the famous line on the uh, on on the gym lockers at the old tool and die shop? Um, he's a world champion, yeah, but was he any good? Yeah, yeah, but was he exactly? And you know, and that was actually Kevin's wife. That Kevin's out. wife, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Jeannie. Jeannie, but. But that's true even to, to today. Yeah, you're a world champ, but are you any good? I mean, world championships pop up like, you know, acne on a 14-year-old's face. I mean, especially back then and even now, and not just in martial arts, but in like, you know, a lot of a lot of things. Or um doesn't even have to be world championships, just tournament wins like in pool or something, you know, whatever the sport is or uh, the activity, you know. But – uh well, Javier came, and then, I don't know, something happened. I don't really recall. I, I think somebody else had something to do with it, and then he quit coming. And uh, so I don't know how long went by, weeks. It wasn't like a day or two. And then I happened to be at a Best Buy shopping for some something, and lo and behold, Javier was working at Best Buy. And Javier came up to me. He's like, hey, Tony. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? And, you know, small talk. And he's like, I'm like, why aren't you at the gym? And basically it was something, Javier can say it, but I thought it was something like, well, you know, I'm not really welcome there anymore. What? Talking about uh, you. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember the, the, the fine details of it all these years later. But um, I did say, get your butt, you know, get back in there, you know, as soon as you can. And yeah, he was like, okay, cool. Sure. Yeah. No, um, you know, like, it was a, it was definitely an interesting experience for me, like early days, uh, you know, and, and I wasn't, I'm one of Tony's longest students at this point, but I'm not Tony's oldest student. There were, there are definitely guys that were uh, senior to me and, and whatnot. Um, but like early days, like a lot of the stuff that we did was, was specific preparation for certain individuals, either because they were, you know, uh, coming in specifically to train uh, with Tony from, from out of state, uh, or in some cases out of country. Um, or, you know, for, for our guys that, that were, uh, certainly at the time way more advanced than me, uh, like Brian, who was, you know, looking to take, uh, c- compete with it, you know, take, uh, take matches and whatnot. Um, and I was in those days, I was like, it's hard to believe now if, when I train so much as I do and whatnot, uh, but in early days, I was very, very casual about it. I was like, I'm very interested in this. I want to learn it. Um, but all I can afford time-wise is, you know, one or two days a week. And then eventually over time, you know, it became three days a week and then 
four or five days a week. And, you know, uh, uh, then I'm putting mats in my basement, <laughs> you know, and it's just built from there. Yeah, I was so, very uh, frustrated with him because he had a lot of potential. Um, but it's, it's weird now saying this, but back then he wasn't in shape. He had a hard time staying in shape and, and life got in the way, personal things and business, his work, you know, and everything, but he wasn't given at the time, um, you know, that I really wish, wish that he could have. And, you know, uh, and then of course he didn't do any of the striking and, and any of the, well, nobody did back then, which really right. upset me more than anything, but through the years, you know, we he used to come to the, when I had the gym in Bensonville, he'd show up in the morning and I try to show him boxing and, uh, you know, honestly, yeah, like I say, Javier, maybe the worst striker that ever lived. I don't know. Is it possible? I mean, <laughs> no, just the worst one that you've met. There's a difference. Yeah. Somewhere out there, there's that, somebody worse than me. Oh, well, I, eh, well, I don't know. Um, but you're right. The world is large. Uh, but no, I say that jokingly, but he, he was one of those guys, you know, that, um, I have a pretty good eye for things athletically and, and intellectually, and he was smart. I thought one of the things was, you know, he had a lot of – he had trained with a lot of guys, okay, before he came to me. You know, famous – some of them were very famous. Uh, we don't need to mention names. We're not dogging on any of them, but, you know, just different styles and so on. So sometimes you tend to get information overload. And, and I just kept saying, you know, to myself, damn, if this guy would just stick with me, if he would just – Stick this out because he's got that that quest for knowledge and that love for knowledge, um, and he's got physical ability. I said, man, I just need to get him in shape. <laughs> and then, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, was definitely a, like you. I mean, <laughs> over a span of years, mind you. Um, so actually, let me rewind just a hair, just to yeah. give people an idea. So in don't say hair. Joe gets upset when you say hair. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Let me rewind just a bit. Um, so in 19, so my, my eldest son was born in 97. I was 20 years old. Um, my, my second son, my middle son was born in 99. Um, so those early years when, when Tony first met me, I was a 22 year old father of two working two jobs. The second of which was actually at Best Buy because my main job wasn't really paying me enough to make ends meet. Um, so that like above and beyond, like not having a lot of money for, for stuff. I also didn't have a lot of free time. Um, which is one of the reasons why I couldn't take it very seriously early on. It wasn't that I didn't want to, it was just like, I couldn't find a way to make it work. And then as time went on. Fortunately, I, I didn't need to work a second job anymore. I started moving up in my company. Um, when we eventually moved the gym to Bensonville, it was super convenient for a while there because my office was, my day job office was based in Bensonville. Uh, and this is going to sound like absolutely terrible in some ways, but um, ultimately my marriage fell apart while on the phone with Tony, might I add. Uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah oh man we shouldn't laugh about it man but... no 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 the, all these years later it is definitely funny but uh yeah my, my first marriage fell apart and that was when I like really committed myself to training super hard all the time uh Tony was able to like help me whip myself into better shape not not as good a shape as I could have been honestly but uh you know I started 
I started focusing on my diet. I started focusing on the exercise program that he set up for me. I was weightlifting all the time. Uh, I was doing a lot of cardio. I was wrestling at that time. I believe it was normal for us to get together Monday through Thursday. And then also on Saturday with occasional workouts, you know, on, on Sundays when the guys were available, uh, we still had a pretty strong core group of guys uh, at that time. And that's when I got really, really just very serious about it. So, you know, like young fellers don't get, don't get to surge. You too could, could have such wonderful success if you just lo- like lose your relationships and, <laughs> and get a better job and <laughs> have more free time. Have you ever had this van? Okay. Oh God. Could- Which one? Oh, Which yeah. one? The one where you, you had the couch in the or the bed, whatever in it, the, it was brown and it had the different, you know, uh, oh yeah, the, the, one, the, one, the one that my boss at my office dubbed the shagging wagon. Yes, exactly right. Cause it had shag carpeting and everything. Oh my goodness. And I'm sure there was some shagging going on afterwards. Hey, know, hey, hey, afterwards, hey. I said afterwards, afterwards, you know, yeah, I'm on the phone with him, you know, and, and his, and his, his wife was first wife was uh, in Indiana and he said, oh, yep. oh, hold on a minute. That's her. I'm like, okay. And he's on there for like a couple, three minutes. I don't hang up. And he comes back on. And he's like, left to say, honest. So uh, when she, I said, so my only words to him is, so when's she coming back? He's like, well, to tell you the truth, I don't think she is. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> here we go. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, the, the, this is exactly how it happened, too. <laughs> I remember it. Well, I, re- I remember because I had broken up with, you know, my love of my life, you know, a couple years before that, you know, 1998. Okay. So it was still fresh with me, you know, the heartbreak, you know, you lose some, you know, it doesn't work out, you know, you kind of get all. So man, when that happened, and then of course I, you know, I tried to give him the pep talk and I said, okay, now you got, now you're going to train, you're going to whip yourself in shape. She's going to be like, you know, you're going to be like, look what you lost and all of this. But yeah, it was a Javier did really good. And then, you know, uh, we Javier and I had we we go way back. I mean, we had a lot of personal things, which was awesome, you know. But, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Life gets in the way sometimes, boy, though, doesn't it? No, Tell definitely. That. It does, and that's okay. And and to be like, not to make it sound like like, you know, like excuses and whatnot, but because of the you no know, one of the things my ex-wife told me when we were separating and whatnot was, and I hadn't even started training super intense at that point, but she's like, you're doing this martial arts thing too much. Like you're never home. So when I got remarried, um, my, 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 my wife, Karen, who's, we're, we're still married to this day to everyone's shock and surprise. Um, but when I got remarried, she was used to me training all the time. It was just like normal for our relationship. So it wasn't shocking to her. Even when I started training more than five days a week, um, and uh, it wasn't until the birth of my, well, as he, when she got pregnant, you know, it, I started tapering off, but it wasn't until around the birth of my third son that, um, that I then started reducing my training time. And unfortunately, you know, like uh, in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'll cut down from like, you know, five days a week to uh, only, only three days a week. You know, I'll, I'll see Tony more in the mornings, you know, when it works out for the schedule, this, that, and the other thing. And slowly over time, I, you know, things started drifting, unfortunately. Um, and that was a, that was a bad, you know, that, that was a bad time for me in so many ways that, uh, that I didn't even realize, uh, because, you know, like when you're working out five days a week and you're, you know, in, in your twenties still, uh, and you're able to eat whatever you want, 
it's uh, it's really easy to just burn off those calories through a, through another hard day's workout. So, uh, yeah, as I started tapering off, unfortunately, my appetite didn't taper off and I gained quite a lot of weight over time. Um, and, and my, my workouts became more and more infrequent. Uh, so like it, it went from, like I said, five days a week down to three and then three to two. And then eventually it was like, I'll get in there every other week or, or maybe we can get a workout this weekend. And I, I think there were a few, like, I never completely drifted away, but there were a few times where like, I only worked out like two or three times in a month, yeah, which was, it, which was terrible. Terrible. And it's, and it's very difficult because you bond, you, you know, I love the guy and it goes even more than just instructing. It's personal, you know, and right. And I knew that there was so much for him to learn, for everyone to learn, stuff that's never even been seen on any video to this day that I, that I put out. And I'm like, man, when are we going to, you know, I got to get to this. But um, he, and then through, through time, we ended up at, uh, we'll cut out the part where I was kind of sick and in and out of the hospital, but they, the guys get established at Triton College. Um, Kevin had moved the tool and die shop and, they're at Brighton College, and we're back there working out. Javier comes back, and he's really on a roll now. He's really starting to get in shape, and I'm getting all psyched. And I, I tell him that this is going good. And what does Javier do? He starts goofing because Javier didn't tell you that he used to do gymnastics. He goes on a weekend, does something on a trampoline, and you can tell the rest of that horror, horror story. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and like the exact timing, this was actually before, before I got married, uh, remarried, but, but in the interim, when I was, I was working out real hard, um, we were already at, we, we were at Triton, which was a great experience by the way. Like it was awesome. Cause we would have guys from the Triton wrestling crew would come in periodically. So we'd have high level wrestlers, uh, coming in. We'd have guys from like, like Shoney Carter and, and other, uh, MMA fighters would, would stop on by there. It was a really good location for us at the time. And, and we had a good working relationship, but, um, yeah. So of all the goofy stuff, um, I, I have background in gymnastics. Uh, the, the exercises I did at, at, in high school were, uh, uh, floor, uh, high bar and, uh, and vault predominantly. Um, I, like those are the only three that I really liked and was good at. And, uh, my buddy at the time, Todd, oddly enough, who, who yeah. you know, uh, was working as a coach at a gymnastics club and he's like, Hey man, do you want to come out for like a, I think it was a Saturday, but like a weekend workout at the gymnastics club. I dude, I haven't done gymnastics in years since high school. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to get on a sprung floor and, and do some tumbling and whatnot. So I go out there and of all the stupid things, he's like, Hey, you know, we've got this, we've got that. I'm like, Oh wow. You know, you got the ball pit and, and or the foam pit rather and, and all this other stuff. And he's like, and yeah, we've got like this uh, Olympic trampoline over here. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Trampoline. I love trampoline. Like, like so much fun. And, uh, I had never been on one quite like this. And, uh, so, so like I, I wait my turn and get on the trampoline and, and Todd's like, on right, right on the edge of the trampoline talking to me and whatnot, explaining explaining stuff. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, like, and I just start bouncing up and down and I start getting a lot of airtime, like way more than I realized I would get. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, what's the, like, like, I feel like I'm bouncing too high. What's the best way to slow down? You know, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite ready to like start doing backflips and stuff, 15, 20 feet in the air here. Um, so I, I go to look over at him, which is stupid. 
but like, and be like, Hey man, like what's the, what's the easiest way to slow down? Should I just like fall to my back? You know, what, what not. And when I did that, I didn't realize like when I turned my head, I tilted myself. And I, as I started coming back down, I landed basically rolled my ankle, but with all of my body weight and, you know, 15 ish feet of momentum uh, from, from coming down and just like my foot basically popped off the bottom of my leg. And then probably in no small part because I was so flexible, like on the bounce up, it snapped right back into place. But I knew something was like horribly wrong. I basically, you know, basically like heel hooked myself. Um, so like I, I started like waving my arms in the air because I was desperate to not fall on it, uh, landed on my back and, and literally bounced off the trampoline. And because I'm an idiot, like let, let's, let's stress this. I was like, oh, Jesus. And nobody had seen what had happened other than me. Like I had felt it, but nobody had realized what had happened. So I tried to stand up right away and my ankle just would not support my weight at all. I, I basically fell over. And he's like, what happened? I'm like, I think I sprained or broke my ankle on your damn trampoline. So, uh, so yeah, for, for uh, a while, you know, I, I didn't realize how bad it was. I went to the doctor, like I said, this was the weekend. So I like waited until Monday to go to the doctor because I didn't think I needed to go to the ER. Um, so I went to my doctor and he's like, oh yeah, this is a really, really bad sprain. And I, I still remembered him, th- him to this day going like, it probably would have healed better if you had broken it. <laughs> and I did not think he was telling me the truth until literally years later when it still wasn't properly healed. And I had to have surgery on it because I wanted to be able to dance with my wife at, at our wedding. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I very badly fucked up my ankle. I wasn't able to train regularly. I even remember it was, it, was, it was rolling around with Martin. I thought I was largely recovered. And, uh, and I, I, I got on Martin's back and put the hooks in, and I, I spread him out and flattened him out, and his hip landed on my ankle. And I, like, scream tapped because I thought he had rebroken my ankle. Um, so like it was a massive impediment. I couldn't I I couldn't do like normal conditioning. I couldn't even take a shot anymore. Um, and to this day, you know, I've, I've still got the the scar from the surgery on my ankle. Almost everyone I know thinks that like I got my leg fucked up in like some kind of leg lock war that I came out on, on the losing side of. But uh, uh yeah, like the, the, one of the worst injuries I ever suffered was uh, because of a trampoline. Yeah, it, I remember you being on the sidelines at Triton on the exercise bike because you couldn't run. I couldn't, couldn't put yeah, I couldn't run. Couldn't do anything, really. Couldn't yeah. r- wrestle. I didn't want you to because inadvertently or accidentally have, you know, something bad happen. But, you know, uh, on, you were there that day that I had an injury at Triton. I was training for the Strict Curl world record. And, I mean, I'm hurling and – I would work out and lift. I would lift before the workouts, the teaching mm-hmm. and Javier was with me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just felt, uh, I said, Hey, something's not right with my hand. I think I just, eh, I gotta, I think I, I'll be all right. And as it turned out, I had a spiral fracture in my wrist from, uh, in my forearm from, uh, curling that day. Uh, but it wasn't as severe as his no way, but I, I knew something was, something wasn't right. I'm like, ah, I just, it'll be fine. You know? And yeah. You didn't then, think it was a break. Yeah. Right. I didn't, I didn't know, you know, and, uh, that pretty much, I mean, not because that was just timing. And then uh, that kind of put the end of all my, to all my heavy lifting. Cause that's back when I was benching the most and mm-hmm. lifting the most 
and then I remember because shortly thereafter, I, I met the uh, other love of my life, right? And uh, I had the, the, what do you call it, the, the wrap, the you know, brace. The, the brace and everything. Yeah. And that was in 2004 when that happened. So that was like, right? Like uh, I broke it right around February, I think. I don't remember exactly, but right around Thanksgiving or uh, Valentine's Day because, yeah. But, you know, we all have our share of injuries. You know, it, it happens. But uh, both of those didn't happen wrestling is what our, our point is, boxing or fighting. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just it just happened. There's a, there's a, I don't want to say anything to jinx myself, but even when I, you know, blew my rotator cuff and everything, you know, that was uh, in the, the uh, labrum here. And the, that wasn't wrestling. That was lifting. And when I blew this bicep, that was lifting, you know, um, but yeah, be careful was, with this. You're gonna you're gonna terrify people and scare them off. It, of lifting. Well, the thing is, don't be afraid of lifting. Just I was training for world record poundages here. When I was working my grip, I was going for a world record. When I was doing the curls, and that was a world record. Um, but uh, that I, I wasn't training for a world record when I blew this out. That was just a freak thing. That one I didn't even have a lot of. Well, for me, I didn't have a lot of weight. I think I had 140 on the curl bar, you know, that's, that was like a, a joke weight for me. And just, it just, Let, yeah. let's, let's point out, he's talking about curling my current body weight. <laughs> he's well, like, it's a joke. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'm so I don't mean it, but I, you know, I, I was doing reps with two fifty. you know, uh, right. When I was going for my uh, thing, uh, those were the days. Uh, but I, I, I just want to say like, so, uh, you know, I, I, I grapple with a lot of different clubs. I've trained with a lot of guys. Many of them are, are heavyweights. And to this day, it, it's always amusing to me when I introduce you to people. And, you know, like, like a lot of them have at least seen clips of you, if not full-on instructionals uh, by you. And they, they kind of know that you're, you know, you're, you're a big, strong guy, you know, especially if we look at, like, the lost art of, the hook, uh, of, of hooking, you know, um, but as soon as you shake hands with them, I, I, I see it in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I like yeah. my, but imagine now that, now imagine my handshake. I don't and, have to imagine it. I, I, I remember well, it. Oh, you're talking well, about Radvon? Right. Now you'll multiply okay. <laughs> this by a, you know, a, a factor of probably four. I don't know, but that's, no, I, don't even want no. I, I, <laughs> I felt that all the time, you know, and, um, so it was just, you know, incredible. And, yeah, the grip, when I tell people, you know, the grip grip, I to this day, I get people like not workout guys, but just people in general out in public. I, you know, I get yelled at for shaking their hand hard. And, you know, Ravon went through that too, but I get people pissed. So I've learned through the years to really not shake anybody's hand hard, you know. Um, and on that note, I got to tell you, so my friend Scott, well, I've known him six years since I moved out here. I've moved out here seven years ago. So I met him a little over, not quite seven years, but I've known him about over six, six and a half. So the first time he introduces me to his stepmother, um, who at the time was probably late 60s, 68, 69. Her name is Meredith. And I shook her hand really like, you know, just dainty. Right. So, eh, whatever, I leave, you know, I, I come home, 
and Scott calls me and he's and he's la- he's laughing and I don't know if he's laughing or crying. I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Meredith," meaning his his stepmom. I'm like, "What? What happened?" He's like, "She I got to tell you what she said." I'm like, "What?" She's like, "She goes, "What's wrong with Tony?" She goes, "What a wimpy handshake he's got." <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Scott started laughing. He's like, Ma, or, or Meredith, he's like, you know, no, he's got a really good handshake. He just didn't want to give it to you. So I'm damn if I do, damn if I don't. You know, and right. that's funny because that happened with the training, too, because you'd have guys back then on the Internet bitching, oh, Tony, he's so rough as shit. He tries to hurt you. No, it's just that what I do is, is you know, heavy duty. And then you'd have others. Then so So then I got nervous about not wanting to really try or, you know, do anything to anybody because I don't need them to go on the internet making a big stink out of it. So it's kind of like the same thing. Either he's too rough or he's not rough. You know, you can't please everybody. Right. But it, it's kind of funny, actually, because um, my, my, my students and long-term training partners have actually observed uh, there's got to be like some kind of bizarre mental switch in my head that I don't realize I turn. But when I start talking about like catch wrestling and demonstrating catch wrestling particular holds and whatnot, like they're like, you just get meaner. I'm like, do I really? And they're like, yeah, yeah. You put on that. You put on everything more intensely. And I'm scared that you're going to, I'm like, Oh, (laughs) I guess that's just flashbacks to the way we used to do it. Oh, you know, it was, it was so abusive back then. And it was, well, that's how I learned, you know, and then I, through the years have toned it down because people just, they don't, they can't deal with it, you know, but I mean, it's, 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 it was hardcore. You know, we, a lot of people use that term hardcore. They don't realize just truly when you were part of the inner sanctum, this little crew, just how hard core it, how hard the training was. Um, and that was always what I was taught. You know, I was told your training here in the gym or not in the gym, but your training here is going to be worse than anything you'll ever experience in the real world, because that's what my training was all about, learning how to defend myself so I could survive the streets, you know, of Cleveland and shit. So it was bad for me, you know, the training. And so, so these guys necess- didn't necessarily have it like I, as bad as I had it, but they had it pretty rough. And now Javier also used to be our, our little test guy, okay? Because Javier, not only is he very skilled, but he has, you know, he had some physical gifts with his gumby flexibility, so people who thought they knew submissions, we would, you know, these are other people that would come through training. Sometimes they'd have attitudes and, you know, we would just say, here, try to put them on, you know, go for it. And, you know, they weren't tapping Javier out and that would frustrate them. They're like, Jesus, because Javier is not a monster. He's, you know, not a muscular big guy. He's, you know, uh, so that he was, he was that. And, one other thing that Javier said, now I'm not going to get you in any trouble here, uh, but I'll, I'll clarify this. This is a Hoist Gracie comment. So <laughs> not bashing uh, yes, Hoist, but he, I think no. he knows where I'm going with this. He's like, I, I know yeah. exactly. Cause it's to this day, people still well, say it. It t- still ticks me off. Well, say it then. tell him because I agree with you because he was not a little guy. Yeah. So people are always like, you know, they're always using Hoist as this shining example of proving that Brazilian jiu-jitsu works for the smaller man. I'm like, granted, Hoist Gracie weighed less than, say, a Ken Shamrock or certainly a Dan Severn, but Hoist Gracie is not a small person. Like, he's he's over six feet. I think he's six foot one, six foot two, can't remember exactly. And at the time, he's like over 170 pounds, if I recall. 
this is not a small person. Now I'm sure like, like my, my, you know, compared to like my buddy Damien, he's definitely a small guy, <laughs> you know, uh, basketball players. Um, and, and I'm sure there are a lot of guys that are 200 plus pounds, but it's not like he's an actual small person, you know, like, like his brother Hoyler, for example, is much closer to my size. You know, Hoyler's like five, four, five, five. I can't remember exactly. And, and, and like in my weight class and when I compete, you know, I'm, I'm not even the smallest guy typically like, like there's usually at least one weight class smaller than me. So if we want to talk about like, like the effectiveness of anything and we're, we're going to say that like size doesn't matter. Well, maybe we shouldn't use a guy who's like middle or upper middle weight classes as the shining example of a small person. Right. He's above average uh, height and weight and he was a light heavyweight. And ironically, he was maybe just a, a hair shorter than me. I was like almost 6'2", but when I graduated high school, I weighed 178. So I was basically Hoist Gracie's size. Right. And, um, you know, I was, you know, at my peak, I just, you know, I got done training and I had all this knowledge, you know, and I was, you know, really uh, – but, yeah, so I've been there. You know, I think we talked about this before. I've been there through the, the weight differences, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, like even me, I never cons- even when I was at 220, you know, which basically is what I am now, 220. I don't consider myself a big guy. Um, you know, I mean, I can at- I, I want to clarify, I consider you a big guy. Yeah, you would, <laughs> but I mean, look at Brian Klaus or other people right. that I've met right. and trained, you know, And again, like, years. like this is all relative. Like yeah. like for me, somebody tends like not necessarily big, but like I'm consciously aware that you're significantly taller than me at about when you're like about five foot six to five foot nine. Okay. And, and for me, again, a guy who competes at about 135 pounds, like you could be about 165 and I'm already considering you a, not significantly, but a bigger guy, like a guy who's around 180 and maybe, you know, six foot or so that's a pretty big human being. But then I, I talked to like, my, my, my friend and student Damien, who's like nearly seven feet tall and, and, you know, three bills. And he's like, yeah, everyone's small. Like, you know, like it, it how you have to be like a Yokozuna or, or, or an Andre the giant before he's going to consider you big. So that, very, very, true. very much a relative thing, but, but I still, regardless, like if we look at like the average height and weight of, of like an American male is what, like average ma- American male is like uh, uh, five foot nine, I think it is. And, you know, like 165. So Hoist is, or 155, I, I'd have to look it up to see what that actually is on the internet. But, you know, Hoist is definitely not a small person. He was just smaller weight wise, not height wise, but weight wise than Ken Shamrock or again, you know, uh, certainly smaller than, than Dan Severn. I had known Javier for maybe three months or something like that. And Javier comes up to me after a workout and he's like, Tony, I really look up to you. And I said, well, what, you think I'm a good guy? Thanks. He's like, no, no, you're just tall. So, oh, okay. <laughs> hey, Javier, Javier. I want to ask you, since you were back in the day and for a while, did you get a chance to meet Thez or talk to him? Um. So... I spoke to him briefly on the phone one time, uh, but I unfortunately never got a chance to actually meet him. Okay. Uh, Lou, I, Lou never made it to Chicago during the period, that period with him. Yeah. Um, although like one of my, 
sort of bizarre fond memories was uh, one time Tony had gone down to Florida to visit with Lou and, and some other people down there. And um, they had just had a conversation that, that uh, about, you know, wrestling in life. And uh, Tony had filmed it on like a, a small uh, a hand camcorder. And it was at, I think the breakfast table. Uh, I guess I don't really know what time of day it was, but uh, I just remember like throughout the conversation, Lou's sitting here and he's, uh, he's eating like an everything bagel with uh with like grape jelly or something that he's he's put on it and the conversation just keeps going on and he's out of bagel and he just looks down and he grabs a spoon and he spoons out <laughs> a spoon of, of grape jelly <laughs> and just eats it and like uh, i'm like man that guy <laughs> I, man. I was just uh it, it was it was such a weird little detail because like you have to understand, I, I come from like a, despite being a pro wrestling fan, I don't come from like a wrestling household at all. I was the first person in my family to actually wrestle. And I was kind of like the first person in my family that, that even liked pro wrestling. But I, I remember it was a weird thing. I was talking about Tony and catch wrestling and, and, and Luthez's name came up and my grandmother knew who he was. Like didn't know him personally or anything, don't get me wrong, but like, like recognized the name. And I'm like, Jesus, how famous was Luthez back in the day that my grandmother, who has never done anything with wrestling, knows of him? So. Yeah, he was a stud. He was well-known, you know. Um, he was the best, you know, famous. And But one of these days we'll have to talk about that Florida trip because we almost got into two fights. One was him and a couple guys, and well, me was a, one was me and a bunch of guys that uh, – but, you know – that may that footage that he's talking about. That may be the last footage of Lou Thez. I have it in storage somewhere there. And um, you know, Lou was just a wonderful guy. And I did let him. I mean, I mean, let him. He called or I called him when Javier was at my house. And uh, Lou or Lou talked to a few of the students, right? But Lou yeah. did not make. Lou was not here. You know, he was in Orlando at the time, living. Um, but he wasn't. He didn't make any trips to Chicago. Um, so most of these guys never really had a chance to meet him. Uh, Bruce met him because when we filmed The Lost Art of Hooking, they flew him up to uh, Rochester, New York. Um, and Brian, of course, met him, Brian Denise. But, uh, yeah, those were good times. And Lou was such a grandfatherly figure at that point, you know. But everybody that, you know, they were like, man, don't let this nice guy thing fool you. He was a, he was a handful back in his day. And I know and I, because yeah, – oh, go ahead. I, I mean, I didn't. I didn't know him at, at all on a personal level above, like I said, above and beyond that conversation. I, I never met him uh, or anything, but um, you know, I, I had, uh, I was familiar with him through pro wrestling because Lou was still wrestling well into his, what is it, his late sixties in Japan still, and still moved incredibly well for, for, for a man of his age. Um, like it was, it was honestly very impressive. Some of the stuff that he could do, and and the way that he did it so you could definitely see like you know uh, without getting into like a huge pro wrestling tangent but you definitely see he knew what he was actually doing and was capable of doing it it, it, you know in not just a working situation well let me talk about that because i think his last match was after his hip replacement he was 72 or 74 but this is the key unlike others lou kept his weight okay in his prime lou weighed 220 or 225 you know you go like i do same same thing. At one point, he did say he was going through some personal issues, and he got up to 250. It's the most he ever weighed, and he quickly dieted down. But even late in life, 
he was always around 220. He never, ever let his weight soar. And when I knew him, uh, after his wrestling career, when he was, you know, roughly, let's call it 80, you know, give or take, you know, because I knew him for several years, he was uh, like 200, okay? Uh, so, and we lifted weights together in, in his complex that he lived. They had a little weight room, you know, universal machines or whatever, Nautilus. But, he, you know, so he kept his shape. You know, that's part of it is diet. You know, you, you got to watch your weight. Because, boy, especially when you get older or you have injuries, as you know, Javier, like with your ankle, you know, the more you weigh, the, the harder it is on your joints and your cardiovascular system. That's why you see now a lot of NFL players, once they retire, these linemen, you know, they lose these 300-pounders, they lose that weight. You know, many of them just crash down to like, you know, 210, 215, whatever, some even less than that. They get into this 100s, you know, um, because carrying around all that weight, man, it's, you know, that's hard on you. So um, that's the one thing about Kevin that got killed. Kevin always kept his weight, you know. He kept it low. And me too, you know, I want to watch my weight. Um, and I'm yeah, sure it's like, huh? It, it was Kevin actually that, you know, when I started getting in shape that really hammered, like really got me on the diet that I was, which was at the time it was basically Atkins. Uh, but you know, like a high protein, you know, high fat, low carb diet, which I've basically stuck with since then, you know, uh, as just like lifestyle diet. Yeah. He was a great guy, Kevin and Kevin met Lou and, you know, they, they were like old buddies. Did he call, you know, uh, did he call Lou Duber? I need to oh, know. Yeah. No, no, he didn't call Lou Duber. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> I mean, Kevin had a little bit more respect and a little bit more knowledge, but oh, that was funny. Yeah. For those who don't know Kevin, that was his. That was his nickname for people that he cared about or liked. His affectionate nickname was Duber. Hey, how you doing, Duber? You know, uh, we're not going to say what he would call people that he didn't like. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, we don't need to go there. But, you yeah, know, those were, those were days that I miss. Uh, you have no idea, especially now that, you know, through 20 years roughly of everybody's lifestyle changing and health and live, life and death and, you know, um, you know, I don't know if, if there exists a, a core like that that we had. We had some fun fun times. And we now it, it seems to me like from what you have told me and, and things, it's a lot easier on the Internet. You know, pretty much everybody shares information and gives credit where credit's due and blah, blah, blah. Back then, man, you know, we were the – man, they people just used to like to lie and make shit up about me or us and – on and on and on and it was just brutal and it really wasn't fun there was absolutely no no fun um and you guys were my oasis you guys were my fun if it wasn't for you guys i would have just said to hell with it man walk away and then there would be no catch wrestling today believe me so um i feel you know that i would not have made it through it without you guys and you're part of that too joe you were there back in the day thank you i, I mean Javier, have you... I, I remember wrestling joe at least once or twice back in the old tool and die shop i was definitely there and i do remember you there yeah i mean yeah. you were definitely i think we were like the, the the misfit toys of that group because the other guys were kind of well everybody had their own idiosyncrasies but there's definitely like and i it's funny how much i i can relate to your experience of like Oh shit! Today Brian's in the workout. Like I know I'm gonna get a beating now. You know, like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, like 
like when he was there, I was like, oh, this is going to, that's not going to be a good day. But um, that, those were my memories. I was trying to, to pick his brain about that when he was on too. I was like, was that intentional or is that how you, apparently it's how he treated everybody. It wasn't like, it wasn't targeted. No, he was not, he was not singling you out. Um, but, uh, oh, I, you know, I had other questions for you. So Javier, but you know, like some people who, who maybe haven't followed your careers, it's, it, 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 I'm still kind of amazed at how many days and hours per week you're still putting into training. I mean, I, you know, it'd be interesting to hear estimate, like what's your, how many average hours do you train a week, even now? And so it's kind well, of, I don't, I, I don't want to say, cause then Tony will chide me for, for excessive yeah, overtraining. Well, and the other thing is how do you stay? Cause to me, it's longevity is kind of a, it's gotta be a tough thing in the sport. You know, I look at certain images, like I've seen pictures of uh, Megaton's hands where they look deformed at this point, like, or, you right. know, he can't do, he's probably lost a lot of fine motor skill and stuff. I mean, yours seems normal. Of course that was, you know, not high res, but like, yeah. What do you like, was there a specific strategy you had or is it just like genetic? So, going on well, there? okay. Let's be very clear. There may be some genetic component to, to this that, that um, I can't account for. Uh, certainly, I had both a little bit of natural and, and, uh, because of my, my gymnastics training and other stuff that I had done, I had a very high degree of flexibility that certainly more so in the early days, but that certainly helped me, uh, help prevent a lot of injuries that otherwise might've occurred. Um, I like, I don't want to brag brag, but like, I feel like I heal pretty darn fast when I do get injured. Um, like, other guys that I know will get similar injuries to me and be on the shelf for way longer. So it's not like I'm Wolverine or anything, but like, I just feel like I'm able to get back to it sooner. And I think more so than the fact that I, I seem to heal well is just uh, the simple matter of, I kind of, at this point, years and years of experience, I kind of know how to ease myself back into things and how to avoid stuff where, where it's like, I'm not going to go back to the gym too early and like, go too hard and get hurt. Like if, if I've got some kind of injury or tweak, I'm going to protect it or I'll, I'll not do certain things. And um, one of the, I think one of the hardest things for a lot of athletes is um, actually, let me, let me speak about my own personal experience here. I am very much a creature of habit. Um, I have a lot, a lot of hobbies and I get very obsessed with, with those individual hobbies, whether it be comic book collecting or video games or, or freaking stamp collecting back when I was a kid. Okay. Like, like I'll get super obsessed with it. And my main hobby at this point is martial arts. Um, so because I get so obsessive about it, uh, like I make it a primary focal point in my life and I shape other aspects of my life around it. Now, not everyone can do that, but at this point, you know, above and beyond the fact that I do it so much, I also get paid to do it. So like, at least the, the wife doesn't, doesn't complain quite as much as she otherwise might if I was doing it all for free, you know? Um, so it's part of my career at this point, but uh, because of that, the ritual part of it is really important to me. So if I get injured, and, uh, and I just decide to like completely stay away from the gym. Um, I will start filling that time with other stuff. Okay. Cause I have some, like, whether it be catching up on a giant stack of, well, these days it's mostly digital, but a giant stack of comic books or, or a bunch of books that I had to read or the TV series that I heard about, like, I'm going to find things to do with that time. And then when I am healed up and ready to go back to the gym, it's going to be hard to pull myself away from whatever has obsessively caught my attention in the interim. Does that make sense? It does so, to me, yeah. 
Javier, yeah. do, you have, do you have like any kind of recovery routine that you normally do to help recover from workouts? Um, not per se. Like, like I, I'd love to give people like this, just the great advice on what I do, but understand that, you know, like I'm, I'm 43 years old. Uh, I am not training. At, like I train hard and most of the, most of the guys I train with will, will tell you that I give it to them, but I'm not training like every single round of a workout is the finals of some world championship. Okay. So like I I'll find the points in a role where I, you know, can go easy or rest. If I'm not, if I'm not in a situation where I have to scramble the whole time, you know, I'll get to a good strong control position and, and maybe slow things down there. Um, you know, or I'll, I'll, I'll put a guy in a, in a position where I feel like I can tap him out, not at will, but like w- with, with enough control that I should be able to get a tap pretty easily. And I'll hang there, see what he does, give him a chance to, to, to resist and try some things. And then I'll, I'll, you know, shut it down and finish it from there. Um, but uh, overall, God, this is going to sound like such a bro science thing. Like I didn't do this overnight and I've just slowly over time built myself up to training seven days a week. Um, most like, like on average, I work out 12 times a week. So I do two sessions a day, Monday through Friday, and then uh, a single long session on Saturday and a single long session on Sunday. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not doing murderous rounds on rounds that whole time. So like, it's very easy for me to say, work out at, at, at our noon class and get, you know, between three and five good rolls in some of those are going to be really, really hard rolls against my, my better students and training partners. And some of those are going to be like me screwing around with, you know, some white belt or blue belt that, you know, isn't necessarily a, a, a super threatening situation. And then I'll go and train in the night. And again, you know, I'll, I'll get in a couple of rounds there. It's not like I'm doing like 10, 10 minute rounds each session. Um, so, you know, that's an important factor. Um, I know how generally speaking, to, uh, to drill smart where I'm not pushing myself at a ridiculous pace all the time and breaking myself down. Um, and I do, and this is probably a big factor that, um, I do spend a lot of time teaching and coaching other athletes while I'm at the gym. So I'm also not like, I might be at the gym for, you know, from noon to to two o'clock, but I'm not like doing hard rounds that whole time. You still have your day job? No, I have a night job these days. Well, I mean, <laughs> so, is it the same place? Same company. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah same company. Cool. I work for yeah. a different branch and, and I work uh, uh, nights. And like that probably sounds like madness when I actually explain how it works. So uh, I work from, from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. Uh, these days with, with Corona being what it is, I actually don't even go to my office. I just, uh, I, I just owe all my work from home. Awesome. Um, yeah, super convenient for me. Um, it definitely, it, my office is actually only 10 minutes from my house anyhow, so it wasn't that bad. But still, it, that, that chews up a lot of time uh, just uh, uh, traveling back and forth. Uh, so so I, I get to sleep somewhere between like 6.30 and 7 in the morning typically. And then I'm, I'm back up between like uh, 11.30 and, and noon or so to get to the noon class. I wake up earlier when I have to teach it than when I, than when I have to just train. Uh, cause you know, I got to get there to open it up and, and whatnot. Um, typically I'm at the gym from about, you know, training until at least one thirty or so, and then, you know, we'll clean up and do stuff. So I'll usually be home and, uh, and in bed and back to sleep by let's say three o'clock, three 30. 
and then I'll, I'll sleep for a couple hours, get a nap basically, uh, and then wake up again in the evening to train. Usually my classes are, are at seven in the evening. Then I train all the way from seven till about nine or so. And then, I, you know, clean up the mats, run home and, and start work at 10. So that's my, that's my typical Monday through Friday experience. And then I, I don't work, you know, on the weekends. Uh, so that's why I tend to train longer uh, at my weekend sessions. That's a tough schedule, man. But, you know, it shows that, you know, you're dedicated. You love to do it, you know, and, and I wish you all the best with that. Man. I, I miss my gym in Bensonville and the way that it ended. You know, that's something that I don't think I'll ever get over, um, ever. I mean, it's just tragic. No, the- the, the situation was tragic and unfortunate. And honestly, like people don't like people that didn't visit it, like probably don't actually believe me until I pull out like old pictures of it. Um, just like all the stuff we had, but <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. uh, in, in terms of the, the sheer amount of, uh, of equipment, the, the large volume of mat space we had, the bar, yeah, the bar, <laughs> the pool table, the, 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 the tanning bed, the sauna, you name it, right, you know, right. uh, it was yeah. just, I mean, it's funny you would say that because like sauna has within the jujitsu community, um, you know, has, I feel like it's become even more popular. And when I tell people that like, like in my life, I've had two separate gyms that have had a sauna and one of them was your, your gym. Like people are like so jealous and, and like, Oh my God, I can't believe you have access to a sauna right at your gym. I'm like, yeah, no, it's pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, yeah. Like, and we had that way, like, like sauna has been a popular thing, but like way before it was super popular, I feel in, in the current grappling community. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, like I said, we, I, I mean, I came from an old school thing, you know, like Rod Von was really old school, a lot older than Luthez. And then, you know, um, I don't want to say Kevin was, was nowhere near that old, but Kevin was old school. And I was always old school because I was raised by my grandparents, World War II eras, you know, so, um, you know, that's it, you know, and my, like I said earlier about me wanting to give up catch wrestling or quit, you know, um, yeah, just think, I mean, nobody heard of catch wrestling, you know, at that point in time, not here. I mean, maybe well, eventually it, somebody would have drug it up, but you know, you know I just, like I said, the only reference, like the only real references I could find to it at the time as like a, a pretty serious martial arts nerd, like you, you could occasionally find some reference to like Abraham Lincoln. Okay. If you looked at like some old wrestling manuals, the term was used, but like, I didn't have a historic perspective to understand how things changed and transitioned at the time. And then within the martial arts community, the only people that ever really talked about it were people that were involved in, 